God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do give you worship and praise this day. We thank you for all the many blessings uh, you provide for us, uh, blessings of this earth and life, but especially those blessings you give us uh, in your Son, Jesus Christ, um, the blessing of salvation from sin, that our sin has been taken from us, and we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Uh, we thank you for the blessing of being adopted into the family of Christ, um, that we are uh, co-heirs uh, with his eternal inheritance. We thank you for the gift of sanctification, that you, are, uh, you have called us to be holy and you are making us holy uh, in this life and preparing us for that uh, uh, final blessing of glorification where we will um, be perfected and we will um, be in your glory for all eternity. And that is uh, the purpose of all these uh, works of Christ in your spirit is to prepare us to be fit citizens for the kingdom of heaven, that we might dwell eternally with you. Lord God, as we uh, continue our study of the Holy Spirit um, today, uh, we ask that we would uh, be led by the Spirit uh, into all truth, and that you would um, open our ears, uh, but even more open our hearts to your teaching and to your guidance, that we would uh, not just fill our heads, but we would have instructed our wills into how we should then live. And as I close in prayer this morning, um, uh, thinking about uh, Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, and so uh, I pray his words, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. All right, uh, so our, for our review or recap of last week, I'm going to do something a little different um, today. I feel like last week uh, I was a bit muddled. Um, and might have created more confusion than clarity about the Holy Spirit's role in sanctification. And I always tell students that if they uh, are struggling with uh, organization, outline, <laughs> outline, outline. So I'm following my own advice <laughs> um, to try to correct any verbal confusion I might have sowed last week. And so I've, I've made a handout and what this handout does is it briefly sketches some of the Holy Spirit's uh, role in the work of salvation. The list is not exhaustive, but selective. Um, it highlights some of the key points of the New Testament that we've been talking about, um, about the Holy Spirit's activity in the lives of believers. And then, um, so along with kind of a summary statements, um, I've also tried to give some quotes from various authors and confessions to help clarify what we believe concerning the Holy Spirit's work in us. So, Thanks, Mike. Um, I think we might have enough. I made 30, so. Or actually, Dana made 30. <laughs> I did nothing. Dana made 30. I did nothing.
better take one for myself. All right. Well, I thought we could, uh, um, as we think about the Holy Spirit's role in salvation, um, and some of this is recap from things we've talked about, some of the passages I've listed here we've looked at in prior weeks, but um, just to you know, create some, some clarity and organization about the different aspects of the salvific process. So first, the Holy Spirit in regeneration. And so the Holy Spirit, as we think about how the scriptures describes the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit regenerates people formerly dead in their sins and trespasses, creating in them a new heart and giving birth to a new spiritual life in Christ. And the, the passages here, again, we, we looked at um, back in the, when we looked at Ezekiel and the prophecies concerning um, uh, the coming work of the Messiah and how that Messiah would bring new life um, and, you know, that our hearts of stone would be taken away, we'd be given hearts of flesh, um, that uh, the valley of dread, uh, dead bones, um, dry bones uh, in Ezekiel, that the Spirit comes and gives those bones life. Um, and then uh, John chapter 3, the familiar passage where Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus and tells them that he must be born again, um, not just of water, but be born of the Spirit. Um, so uh, this section here uh, is from the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, which actually doesn't have a separate section on regeneration, but um, what, when it talks about regeneration, it talks about it in terms of effectual calling. All those whom God hath predestinated unto life, and those only, he's pleased in his appointed time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Christ, Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills, and by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good, and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by, all, by his grace. This effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man, who is altogether passive therein, until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit, is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. Uh, and then uh, Sinclair Ferguson, as flesh, we require new birth because we are bereft of the life and energy of the world of the spirit. If we are to belong to the kingdom or family of the spirit, we must be born from above by the spirit. Only thus will we be able to worship in spirit. Um, so that just kind of outlines, again, some of what we've talked about um, prior, that it's the Holy Spirit that quickens us, that before we have, uh, ex can exercise faith, before we can respond to the gospel call, we have to be regenerated, we have to be made alive by the Spirit, and it's the Spirit that allows us to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so any questions on, on that? Um, again, kind of. Okay, um, so next, um, we, we talked about this a lot two weeks ago, the Holy Spirit in union with Christ, that the Holy Spirit binds us to Jesus Christ and communicates to us his life-giving righteousness. The Holy Spirit dwells in every believer and unites us individually and corporately to Christ. And I could have gone on and on with um, uh, New Testament passages uh, referring to um, our union with Christ. Um, but just, uh, again, a couple of quick quotes. The Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. And then John Calvin, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. All that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. To sum up, the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us to himself. 
So there, the, the emphasis in, in um, our union with Christ is it's that the Spirit is what makes that union possible. Um, we don't have access to the body of Christ, but we have access to the Spirit of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and again, this is, a, uh, this is a blessing of the Spirit that's available to every believer. In fact, we can't believe without the Spirit uniting us with Christ. It's the Spirit, um, as the Confession says, that works faith in us. Okay? Any questions on that? All right. Um, so next, the Holy Spirit and justification. Um, and this is one, again, we, we often, because we think so much about how Christ uh, accomplishes justification for us. It's by his redemptive work on the cross. It's by his active and passive obedience, his um, substituting himself for his sin, that our justification is accomplished. But the Holy Spirit, again, has a role in this. The Holy Spirit is the agent who effectually works faith in us and who imputes to us the justifying work of Christ. Um, and this is just the shorter catechism's uh, definition of justification. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Uh, and then the larger catechism goes on to say, we are made partakers of the benefits which Christ hath procured by the application of them unto us, which is the work especially of God the Holy Ghost. So it, again, it's Christ that's accomplishing the work of justification. He's the one who's given us a right standing uh, before God, but it's the Holy Spirit that communicates that to us. It's the Holy Spirit that, um, again, by binding us to Christ, makes that work effective for us. Um, this, this quote uh, following is from James Buchanan, um, who wrote a book called The Doctrine of Justification. The work of the Spirit consists in bearing witness to Christ and applying to men the redemption which he obtained for them so as to make it effectual for their complete and everlasting uh, salvation. And again, notice the word that's run through these first um, three sections, um, particularly coming from confessions, the effectualness of this work of the Holy Spirit, that it's, it's accomplished um, and it's applied to us effectively by the Spirit's work. All right, any questions on that? Okay. Um, we're getting to the part where I muddled last week, so <laughs> hopefully you can have some questions here. Um, uh, again, two weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit in adoption. The spirit that believers receive is not a spirit of bondage, but the spirit of adoption that makes us children of God, the brethren of Christ, and heirs of an unshakable inheritance with him. And again, um, uh, the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism. Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Um, and again, the emphasis um, in, in both those passages of Paul, that it's the spirit that has, has made us sons and daughters of God and co-heirs with Christ. Um, and the word um, Paul uses often um, in connection with this work of the spirit is that the spirit is the guarantor of our uh, eternal existence. Um, and that work we talked about um, in terms of, of Roman eight, Romans 8, um, is both, you know, like the, the guarantee, but it's, it's the pledge, it's the down payment, you know, it's, it's this, um, the work has begun, you know, the, you know, and we use the example kind of, of, of banking, you know, the title's been passed, <laughs> so there's no backing out of it now. All right. So finally, um, the Holy Spirit and sanctification. And this was what I was trying to do last week and, and didn't, honestly didn't do very well. Um, but, uh, but let me just try to run through some, some definitions. As the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity especially works to free us from the dominion of sin, to remove its corruption, and to conform us to the image of Christ so that we might live in the presence of a holy, holy holy God. You know, throughout the scriptures, the, you know, the difficulty is how can a sinful people dwell in the presence 
of a thrice holy God, um, a God whose presence uh, will not stand for any sinfulness. And that's this work of sanctification. Um, the Westminster Confession says, uh, defines sanctification this way. They who are once effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified really and personally through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection by his word and spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified. And they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Um, and the distinction I was trying to make uh, last week was between definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification, or what the confession there said, really sanctified and personally sanctified. Or another way to think of it is we're already made holy, and thus we're saints now. That's how Paul can call us, sanctified ones. And yet we're not yet perfect in holiness. You know, we still have room to grow in grace. Um, we grow in um, the, the destruction of sin, the, the remaining remnants of sin in our lives, and grow in putting on um, and exhibiting those fruits of the Spirit coming out of us. So it's both a, an, an act of God in us, but, um, you know, a definitive act of God within us, but it's also something that God is, is a continued process. And again, um, my seminary professor, um, Dr. Chamberlain, um, who, who now is, is with his Lord, um, used to say, you know, salvation is now, um, but the fullness of it is not yet. You know, and again, it's the, that guarantee language. We, we're, we have the, the, the pledge of the Spirit, which gives us that, you know, um, unremovable pledge that this is done you know it's it's final um, and even yet though we're not yet to the point of perfection yeah Jay. Yeah, and uh, I mean, and as we think of it, Paul uses that language of a race, you know, sort of, you know, calling us in, in sanct terms of sanctification, of pressing on for that upward call of of Christ. You know, he, he uses the language of of reaching for a finish line, but a finish line he describes as as Christ as RE one. Um, I, I was trying to think of an analogy um, for it, and I, I think. As we think about progressive sanctification, again, the danger is, the, and I tried to lay this out last week, there are kind of two ways we can fall off. We can fall off on that antinomian side that we don't have to do anything, <laughs> that the law, all that stuff, you know, we've been saved, and now it's, you know, party on. Um, and, and, and Paul's like, no. <laughs> but he also doesn't want us to fall back into the traps of thinking that our works are accomplishing something, or that we're somehow adding to the work that Christ has already done for us. Um, and maybe the way to, to think of it is, um, as we grow in holiness, um, it, it's more of a process of becoming what we are rather than achieving something we're not. Um, you know, and this is, again, I think the, the distinction that um, scholars are trying to make with definitive and progressive sanctification. Sanctification is a definitive act of God whereby he destroys the dominion of sin, installs the Holy Spirit as the ruling power in our lives, and inhabits us as his holy temple by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have been made holy by a definitive act of God. Um, but there's still remaining sin uh, in us. And as we grow in grace, 
we are more and more uncovering that remaining sin. And, and I used the example last week of like cleaning house, like my basement gets full of junk. Um, and, you know, and so I, I deal with the big sins first, like um, uh, the Wanix, our, our stove broke uh, this past winter and the Wanix had one in their, their garage and so graciously uh, uh, gave it to us. <laughs> so we didn't go without food. Um, or I wasn't trying to cook everything in the microwave or on the grill, which in the dead of winter, in the dead of this past winter. Um, so here I had this, this, you know, dead stove in my kitchen that, you know, I, for the seven years we've been, been in the house, I've worked on keeping it clean. You know, I've scrubbed it down every week and, you know, um, but, you know, once I pull it out <laughs> to get rid of the old busted one, Oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, however many, I know I've pulled it out before, um, at least three years ago. So, um, so at least three years of, you know, uh, of dirt and grease and stuff that have accumulated in and around and under the stove. And that's the way um, uh, I think progressive sanctification works. You know, we deal with sin, um, but you know, um, as, as we deal with sin, um, and, you know, we're, we're constantly discovering new sins. As we grow in grace, we're more and more aware of our unholiness, you know, how we lack the qualities um, that we desire um, and that God desires. We lack um, what we should be. Um, and so we keep, keep trying to grow. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's like a development more than then again, something that, that we're um, putting on or achieving. It's, it's we've had this, the spirit in us um, and we have the spirit guiding us. And so the spirit is instructing us on what is sin and what is, you know, what are holy works um, and producing those things in us. Um, uh, uh, another way to sort of, to think of it again, and this is the process of mortification um, my, and I'm totally stealing this from my friend Brian Habig. Um, but um, Brian used to talk about mortification of sin as like the game whack-a-mole. Um, so if you've ever gone to the arcade, and, you know, you've got this panel of all these four or five holes, and you've got a mallet. <laughs> it's kind of a sick game. Um, and these moles are popping up, and so, and then popping back down, and, you know, the game is you're trying to hit the moles when they're, pa you know, popping up. And just because you smack this one on the head doesn't mean another one's not going to pop over here. And that's the way that that's, you know, dealing with sin is. Um, but, you know, again, notice how the, the confessions, um, and I, I purposely went to the canons of Dort um, here. But, but when God accomplishes his good pleasure in the elect or works in them true conversion, he not only causes the gospel to be externally preached to them and powerfully illuminates their minds by his Holy Spirit that they may rightly under, uh, I think that's supposed to be understand, and discern the things of the Spirit of God, but by the efficacy of the same regenerating Spirit, he pervades the inmost recesses of man. He opens the closed and softens the heart and circumcises that which was uncircumcised, infuses new qualities in the will which, though heretofore dead, he quickens from being evil, disobedient, and refractory. He renders it good, obedient, and pliable, actuates it, and strengthens it, that like a good tree, it may bring forth the fruits of good actions. And, you know, in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, you know, the Spirit's work in sanctification isn't just removing and purging us of those sinful qualities we possess, but putting on those positive attributes of holiness that God desires in us. Um, so it is both a, you know, a, a purging of us, but it's also refining in us those traits. And those traits um, are, are there, and our awareness of sin is there because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That, and I love that language there. You know, it's, it's um, he pervades the inmost recesses of man, like, the Spirit is not going to let, you know, that sin go undiscovered in our lives. Um, 
And yet, um, as, as um, Pastor McGuire uh, said last week, this is something we participate in. And this goes back to Jay's analogy of the race. It's a progressive work of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to mortify sin and conforming us to the image of Christ so that we can see the fruit of spirit in our present lives and hope for eternal perfected holiness in Christ. Um, and the, the Westminster Confession says this, in which war, although the remaining cup corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part does overcome, and so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in fear of God. So in this struggle with sin, in this battle, there are going to be moments we lose. Um, there, uh, we'll lose battles. You know, it'll seem like we've, you know, in the race, we've gone back to the start line. Um, but we, we haven't um, because it's that spirit uh, working in us to, to bring us back. Or the way John says, you know, uh, we won't keep on. We might sin, but we're not going to keep on sinning. Um, the, the Spirit will keep convicting us of our sin and won't let us be at peace and at ease with our sin as Christian believers. Um, that there's this positive change that's been made in us um, by uh, being regenerated, um, by having this Holy Spirit in us, by being united in, to Christ, that changes us. Um, and, you know, uh, there, there are days, you know, I, I, I kind of like, you know, am I really different from the Steve Barry who at the age of 19 years old, you know, came to Christ? Um, and yes and no. <laughs> you know, there's some ways I'm still, you know, wrestling with some of the same kinds of things. You know, I, um, my, my brother um, and I both have the characteristic, we're really good of being patient up to a point, and then all that patience that we've exercised up to that point now comes out. <laughs> so it's like we just save it. <laughs> we, we don't get upset on all these little things, we just save them up so then we can explode at the end. <laughs> this is a trait, as brothers, we share. Um, and, you know, so, you know, I, uh, you know, I work on this, um, and, you know, as you with children, you know that children are really good <laughs> at testing uh, your, your patience and regard. Um, so in one sense, I'm still dealing with the same sin, um, but the Spirit has, has made progress in me. Um, and I see my lack of patience, you know, I, I thought the problem was this big, um, but as I've grown, I now see the spirit or <laughs> the problem is this big. <laughs> you know, I thought it was just a little thing I could kind of deal with and, and get over it with. But I've discovered, as I've uncovered it, it's more and more of a problem. Um, uh, maybe another way to think of this is um, my, my friend Bebo and I used to do projects with all around each other's houses. And we'd often sort of start something, think, oh, this will be easy to take care of. We can do this in a Saturday afternoon. We'll be done with it. And so, you know, and then we start to uncover, <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> uh, this requires rewiring the entire side of the house. <laughs> um, and now that we've started, <laughs> we can't stop. <laughs> and that's the way, you know, we, we, as we, the Holy Spirit quickens us and makes us alive and, you know, shines that light. Um, on our sinfulness, um, we start to, to see it, and as we uncover it, we start to see, you know, the, the indwelling sin in us aren't small problems, but, but big problems.
Yeah, I think so. And again, it's, um, it, it's trying to be, you know, and this language is trying to be true to the language of the New Testament, you know, and the, and the New Testament is very clear that, you know, that we're justified by faith. It has nothing to do with our works. But then it goes on to tell us to do all these good things. <laughs> um, Paul calls us saints, sanctified ones. He says, by the Spirit, you were sanctified. Um, and yet he also tells us to, you know, to put off those, uh, those works, um, you know, to, um, to not keep on sinning, um, to more and more grow in these graces. And so, yeah, so I don't think um, our, our danger, I think, is, is treating sanctification in a sense, um, in the sense of kind of Roman Catholic view of, of justification. Again, that's something that we do. Rather than seeing it as the New Testament promise, it's something that um, the Spirit does in us and through us. Um, that, you know, it, it, we're actively changing. Um, and that's the hope, and that's the promise. And, uh, you know, one of the things I want to come out of this um, and, and why I emphasize the definitive part of the sanctification is, is for the point of assurance. Because when we fall... Um, back into sin, or, you know, some sin we think, oh, I, I, you know, I solved that one a long time ago, and then you do it, you know, our first response is to, what did I do, you know, and to sort of feel lost, whereas, you know, to go back to this language uh, of Paul, because we have the presence of spirit, you know, we might lose a battle, but we never have to fear losing the war. You know, that even in the midst of um, our struggle with sin, that we can have assurance because our salvation and our sanctification ultimately doesn't depend on our success. Um, it's certain because of the Spirit's work in us. And, and again, another way to think about this, sanctification is a, a process. You know, it works out over our life. But we're not stuck in, to, to again, kind of use Roman Catholic language, we're not stuck in limbo. You know, if I die today and my, you know, I'm not yet perfected in holiness, you know, it's not like there's going to be a period of time where God has to perfect me in holiness subsequent to death. <laughs> no. Yeah, we, we don't have a, a sanctify, uh, you know, uh, we don't have a sanctification equivalent of purgatory. Um, and we don't have to have a sanctification equivalent of purgatory because, again, we see it as a work of God's grace in us. It's the work of spirit in us. And that, and I said this last week, and I, I, and again, one sense, I can never be as holy as I am now because the Holy Spirit is, dwells in me. God has set me apart for a holy use. Even though I'm going to make progress, I'm going to grow in grace, um, but Ultimately, my hope of holiness doesn't reside, you know, that hope doesn't reside on me, um, you know, making it to the finish line. Um, it, my hope resides in the spirit. Um, and that the spirit is, again, maybe the, the way to do it is to think of a house cleaning that never ends. <laughs> like, um, you know, the more I move and clean something, the more dirt, you know, I find. Um, or the more light, uh, I used this example a couple weeks ago, the more light I shine on something, the more dirt I see. You know, the closer I look, you know, I, I think I've swept something. Um, and and so, um, so there's the sense that that's the kind of sense that why in this life we're never perfected because there's sin is still you know, inhabiting me in places, and sometimes, just like you clean something, and you like, or you finish something, and you think you've, I've done that, you've moved on to go to another room, and then you go open the door, and you see dust is settled everywhere. <laughs> um, but we don't have to get discouraged in this, because again, that's, it's, you know, we're growing into what God has called us to be.
It's, um, so, so the process of beatification is the church is recognizing certain people as saints. So, uh, yeah. So they see saints as a certain standard of holiness that not every individual Christian. And so this maybe is where the big difference. Well, that's what I, my point. Yeah. That we believe all believers. All believe, Paul addresses us all as saints. saints. Not just a particular class within the church. Um, and again, that's what we're holding in tension. Um, that we are saints, we are sanctified ones, but we're also undergoing a process of sanctification and you know hold those two things together and so when that process it doesn't seem to be going well you know we go back to the point but we are saints <laughs> you know the holy spirit is within us um, that is our hope that's our guarantee that's our pledge and that's what strengthens us to engage in the battle engage in the race engage in the fight against sin um, to to keep um, pressing on um, because you know, it's not, uh, again, it's not the success, my success or failure um, in achieving something that I'm not. It's my growing into what God has made us to be, you know, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We've been remade, I mean, reborn, recreated, regenerated. And notice how the language of the confessions start with that. Because we've been regenerated, because we have this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we can now start to live and grow and understand in ways we couldn't before without the Spirit. Yeah, no? Um, yeah, this is a good question. Um, and some of the early church fathers actually sort of talk about you know, they actually use the word, and, and you can see why this word might be troubling to modern ears, deification. <laughs> um, but what they meant by it was that we continue, because again, God is, you know, um, God is limitless, you know, and it's, and we'll still be, um, yeah, we'll still be limited um, beings, and God is a limitless being. And so we will have an eternal process of, of, of learning and growing in the glory of God. Um, and so, so that's, and, and, but in order to be in that process, we have to have been made holy. So, you know, and that's what sanctification, sanctification is getting us to that. Um, and then heaven is, you know, is, um, again, there are debates, and we, the scriptures don't tell us totally about this, but, um, but I think there's something to be said that, you know, heaven is not a static place. Um, um, it will be freed from sin completely. Um, and and maybe this is where the unending race ends. We'll be freed from sin for completely so we can see God for who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And we'll spend an eternity, you know, of discovery of that God. Um, uh, so that was the way, you know, some church fathers, um, particularly the Cappadocian fathers, um, thought of it as a, a, a process. Um, um, and, uh, you know, again, I think it's helpful to sort of, to, to sort of, um, yeah, think of heaven not being like a static place where we do nothing, um, that we're all sitting around. Um, but... Um, but it's a, a heaven free from sin, and it will be a heaven that, that brings glory to God. Um, and as the more we understand about God, the, the more we'll realize how little we understand, you know? And, and again, it's, it's, the problem isn't um, because of sin or weakness in us. The problem is because we're limited beings, and he's unlimited, you know, that um, we're finite, he's infinite. Um, and how does the finite dwell eternally with the infinite? Um, and this is, that's a little more speculation than I want to go into, but that's how some people have tried to answer that question. Yeah, Andre. Uh, Ron. Ron.
Yeah, I mean, again, for us, because it's, as, as Andre said, there's a process to, to, to achieve sainthood in the Catholic Church. You first have to be, you know, beatified. You know, you have to be recognized as, as having, so maybe that process is recognizing this is a person of exceptional holiness. Um, the second step is confirmed miracles attached to the person, um, both in their life and, uh, and again, this is where we have, and, and after their death. So it's often through the bodies of saints that some of the miracles that have made them saints, and that's because of a Roman Catholic understanding that um, because this person is now in the immediate presence of God, that um, that spiritual presence has effects on their material bodies. So, you know, you get someone like St. Teresa, um, you know, the, the stories are, so she died away from her home convent, so they, you know, interred her because she was dead, but then they wanted to, you know, relocate her body back to, um, to her home convent, and so they dug her up, and, you know, weeks, months later, and, and so the stories are that her body hadn't undergone decay, um, that, you know, uh, that instead of smelling corrupt, it, it was sweet smelling. Um, um, they uh, start cutting off pieces of her. <laughs> um, you know, my, my joke on that always was God miraculously preserved her body so other people could cut it up. <laughs> um, you know, um, and, and then all these miracles are attached to, you know, I, you know, uh, had a finger of St. Teresa placed on my tumor and it disappeared. And, and, and that's the kind of, of, of sainthood we, we reject. Um, that, yeah, no, um, the, the true saint, um, again, the true saint doesn't draw attention to his or herself. The true saint points to Christ. Um, and, uh, and, and that's the role of the Spirit. Again, notice how in all these things I, I've listed here, the Spirit's work in salvation, it's all bringing us to the cross of Christ. It's, all, it's always bringing us to his life and his work. The Spirit does not act independently of, of Christ. The Spirit is always connecting us to Christ, connecting us to his work on our behalf. Um, we are being perfected, not in ourselves, but we're being perfected in Christ. Um, and again, it's the being perfected in Christ is, you know, we're being conformed to that image that the Spirit has placed in us. Yeah, Mark. How old is that story? Um, Teresa lived in the 16th century. No, but the idea that they've done miracles. So that, that's the, that, you know, um, so like they just declared um, the first Native American saint um, two, two years ago. Um, it was, yeah, I think it was the fall before last. Um, uh, uh, Cottery, um, this Mohawk girl um, who converted um, under the preaching of the Jesuits, um, lived uh, an austere life. Um, um, she died, and, um, and particularly post-death, you know, people would go to her burial site, they'd be healing. So it's on the basis of those miracles she did after her death is, are the was the justification for her sainthood. Um, you know, they acknowledged she lived an exemplary holy life, um, you know, a, as this young Mohawk girl. She didn't marry. She didn't participate in, in, in Mohawk rites anymore. She um, identified herself with this emerging uh, Christian community. But she goes from being an exemplary Christian to being a saint because of the miracles associated with her, with her body. And, and with her. Um, so that's the justification for recognizing her as a saint, is the presence of miraculous powers. Um, and I don't think anybody ever dug her up and cut her up and that kind of thing. But, but again, it's the presence of miracles. That's what makes people saints. Her, her miracles only came or attributed to her after death. Um, and they started with her Jesuit confessor who was suffering from uh, what we would probably diagnose as severe depression. 
you know, this kind of cloud that he described over him, um, that he prayed to her and that cloud lifted. Um, again, how, how did we get on Cottery? Cottery Tekakwitha. Um, uh, yeah, I have to practice saying that for class, so. <laughs> That's how I can like spin it off the tongue. Um, or Catherine, as sometimes she's called. Um, but back to, uh, back to sanctification. <laughs> um, and, uh, and back to the Spirit's work in our salvation. Um, you know, what these confessions and what the New Testament is, is emphasizing um, is that um, uh, we are being um, remade um, into um, a different people because of the work of Christ and the way the Spirit is applying that work to us. Um, so let me just, um, uh, I know we're at time, but I, I did want us to just sort of have one passage of the scripture that we come out of this with. And this is from Titus chapter 3. Um, so verses, I'll read verses 1 through 11. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hatred, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. So the idea there, again, that this God that has begun a good work in you will bring that work to completion, that this gift of the Spirit um, that is, has been given us, so poured out so richly through us, as Paul says here, um, is, is that pledge, um, is, is what makes us heirs of eternal life. And as we engage in this process of sanctification, we're growing in grace and understanding of, of the work of Jesus Christ for us and in us. Um, all right, well, um, I, I wanted to spend, um, hopefully that's clarified things <laughs> from the mess I made last week. Uh, but if not, feel free to, uh, to ask further questions after class. Next week, I, I want us to, to move. Um, we, we, we've got a month left, um, and I want us to have time to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So how the Spirit is not only involved in the application of salvation to us, but the Spirit, again, is involved in, um, in gifting us and developing fruit in us um, that, um, that's part of this process of sanctification. But, but let me close this in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for... Um, that work of Jesus Christ, um, that through his active and passive obedience um, on this earth, he earned and gained the righteousness. Um, he fulfilled the terms of the law that we could not. By his sacrificial on death on the cross, that he bore the weight and penalty of our sin, which he didn't deserve and which we couldn't pay for ourselves but he bought us with a price. Um, we thank you for his work um, in uh, making us uh, his habitation, uh, 
making us his holy temple, dwelling in us, setting us apart, that we might uh, live lives of holiness, um, that we might grow in holiness uh, in preparation of an eternal life with him, and that uh, we have uh, a guarantee of that uh, eternal life. We have assurance of that eternal life because of the work of the Spirit in us. And so from beginning to end, our salvation is a work of the free grace of our God, that it is all gift to us, even the parts we participate in, even the works that we perform. Um, they're all your gift to us, and we thank you for those gifts, that we can live a life of joy and peace, um, exulting in the love you've displayed in us, a love that we are only now uh, really beginning to comprehend. Though we might be a Christian for um, a quarter century, um, we're only uh, have, have received a taste of what the true extent of your love for us is. And uh, we glory in that, and we worship you uh, from that, and we uh, act in gratitude to the grace we've received from you. Help us now uh, in this coming hour to give you all worship and honor and glory and praise, O Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.